0: You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured Sermon of the Week. Today we are currently in a series. We've done these deeper series where we've gone into the book of James, we've gone into the book of Galatians, or Ephesians rather, I believe it was, and now we have started on the book of Galatians. It's part of our deeper series, DEEP, which we started two years ago, if you don't know, and it's an acronym for what we want you guys to be living out, which is discipleship, evangelism, engagement, and prayer. We want these to be on the forefront of who we are as Southview. So Mark did an amazing job last week. And yes, he talked about, he started us off talking about, what have you done for me lately? And he talked about people pleasing, And God-pleasing, and I really took that to heart. And I was like, you know what? I please my family way too much. So I am not making dinner this week. You are all on your own. It was too much. If I don't cook, you don't eat, let's be honest. Okay. Anyway, before we begin, let's pray. Amen. So God, we thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that great is who you are and we pray that great is who you'll be in each one of our lives god and i pray that as i deliver this message i pray that it will be with clarity i pray that it will touch each person's heart in this room the way you want to speak to us you've created us all individually different and you know we've all came with something you know we've all walked into this room with carrying something that we want spoken to god so i pray as i deliver this message you will speak to your people through me and i pray that they will leave here changed never the same in jesus name amen amen so like i said we're starting in chapter two so if you want to open your bibles to galatians uh chapter two but i'm going to do something a little bit different and i'm going to kind of do a little summary of verses one through ten is that okay just kind of like my own personal recap so follow along with me if you want to make changes do it on your own time but this is what i what i'm doing um so galatians one and two are pretty much kind of similar chapters in the fact where paul is trying to preach against false doctrine he didn't want false doctrine entering the church and that's kind of what his passion was about. And so we start off verse one, where it says that Paul was going into Jerusalem. He was traveling to Jerusalem. And it states he went according to a revelation, it says. Now some scholars think it might be referring to a revelation uh, by the prophet Abigus had in Acts 11, verse 27 and 28, that there would be a great famine all over the earth. And so, the disciples were kind of pairing off to go reach the people that had the needs so Paul and Barnabas were partnered together and they were going into the area of Judea to take care of the Christians there well Paul not only brought Barnabas but Titus is mentioned also and these were Paul's Titus was Paul's good close friend and it was interesting that these two were with them because Barnabas was a Jew and Titus was a Gentile and so Paul comes and he actually has an encounter with the pillars of the church, it says, which is Peter, James, and John. They were like the disciples of the church. Peter, the one that says, I built my house, the Lord said, upon the rock. That's the Peter we're talking about. And he has this confrontation with them and he says, I just want to make sure, he's doing his good job being a student, that we're talking about the same gospel. I Have been called to the uncircumcised you have been called to the circumcised, but we still have the same message Is this correct? So he's going to the group and asking them and it says that they gave him his right hand of fellowship Which means they gave him their approval. Yes Uh, Paul you are teaching we are teaching the same message. We're all on the same page But if you go down Paul finds himself hearing about these false brothers infiltrating the church, meeting Pharisees of sorts were these false brothers and they were still trying to live the way it was before Jesus came. And an issue arose because they found out Titus was not circumcised. And this really bothers the religious leaders because they believe circumcision, if you're not circumcised, you're not truly saved, right? So, Paul goes on in verse 5, and he gets really um, bold. How many are bold? How many are you? Yeah, okay, we got, so this would be you guys going up to the church saying, you know what? And a little bit, like, arrogant, I guess. Like, we didn't yield for a minute, he's telling them. Like, we did not give in, and we did not give up. You are not going to make my friend get circumcised just to live up to what you believe. That's kind of was Paul's attitude. But he had that attitude because he believed in the truth of the gospel. And he wanted the truth of the gospel to remain because the truth of the gospel was, you didn't need circumcision for salvation. You needed Jesus for salvation. So that's what he was trying to preserve. And it's funny because we still see that lived out today, right? We still see false brothers infiltrating the church That's why you got to know the truth. And they come in and they try to deceive us and let us believe, well, this is truth. And to us, it kind of sounds like truth, right? It's, It's a good message, but it's not truth. And I don't want us to fall into where it says Barnabas was led astray at one point. And I want us to be people of the truth. And you will know the truth because, like I said, they're going to come in wolves and sheep clothing, false prophets to deceive us. And so this was Paul's passionate, um, idea to keep the truth preserved because instead of having people and this is what's happening today, um, we have a gospel that if it doesn't fit our lifestyle, we want to change it. Right. Instead of making the gospel fit our lifestyle. Right. Because God's calling us as a people to repentance and holiness. It's always been repentance and holiness. And when we go and we think that we know better or we can make Scripture accommodate to what we feel comfortable with. Listen, there's a lot of things in Scripture I don't feel comfortable with. I wrestle with, like, God, why does it have to be that way? I don't, I don't like this. Change it. But it's not about me. It's about a holy God, a sovereign God. This is the way it is, and if we're, and if we're proper, we will fall in line to it, <laughs> and we will say, God, you are holy, just great are you, Lord, whatever you want in our lives. Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, I appear to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or some versions say your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, pleasing will. See, Paul wasn't trying to get rid of the law, right? The law is is needed, right? Because number one, the law guards us from sin by giving us a standard of behavior, right? It guards us, it lets us know this is right, this is wrong. It also convicts us of sin, giving us the opportunity to seek repentance and forgiveness, which are so important. It's important to know that when we receive Christ, that's not our uh, last moment of repentance. right? It's a daily thing. Some of us, it's an hourly thing. Some of us, it might be every 15 minutes, but we have to bring ourselves in a posture of repentance that says, God, I, I want to live according to you. I, I'm not holy as you are holy. Only you are holy. So bring me into that posture. And the last one is it drives us to trust the sufficiency of Christ because we're never going to live up to the Ten Commandments, right? The Bible says, Not one is holy, no, not one, only God. So we are gonna fall short a little bit. But we need the law because the law can't save us. We need Jesus, I should say, because the law can't save us, only Jesus can, right? He's the one that can save us. So Paul was just in these early verses of the chapter reminding them that we're not justified by what we do and we can't work up our salvation and we can't you know, do all the things, no. It's not about our works it's not about being justified by the law but it's about faith in jesus guys which is good news for all of us because how many know we need faith in jesus how many know we have paths i believe paul was so passionate about this because his past right he was out there killing sinners and he probably knew he probably loved this message because he's like i don't think i could work enough to get the forgiveness that i need Anybody feel that way? I can't work enough to earn God's love. go to church enough, read my Bible enough, pray enough to get repentance for what I did. Good news. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, to cover all that sin. So here we go. Last week, Mark's title of his message was What Have You Done For Me Lately? And if you know that reference, kudos to you. (laughs) But I decided to play off that and give a little nod to a song title in my message. So here we go. The title of my message is Killing Me Softly. (laughs) Uh, If you know, then you know. Bird of Flag, Fugees, come on. <laughs> Got all the generations in there. Sorry if they don't know. <laughs> anyway, killing me softly, we're going to start reading in Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to have you stand as we read. We started having people just taking real reverence of the word of God and the importance of it and standing when we read and putting on my readers. <laughs> Okay, so beginning in verse 11, but when Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have, been, we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because works of the law, no one will be saved. But if in our, re, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we were to be found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For, I, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law I died to the law for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose Christ died for no purpose you may be seated Death is an interesting thing, right? It's something that we all will experience at some point or another, right? And it's also something that has a lot of unknowns. It's, it's this mystery of like, okay, what's gonna happen? Nobody's come back to tell us, you know? So it's kind of like this unknown. We hear of near-death experiences and what is the quote we always hear? my life flashed before my eyes, right? And it's like, have you ever thought about that statement? Ever really thought like your life flashing before your eyes? It's like, would you enjoy the movie that you saw? Or would you be disappointed in what you see? Would you feel like you fulfilled all that God has planned for you up until this moment? When Mark and I got married, we went... um, on our honeymoon, we went to Martha's Vineyard, and being the amazing wife that I am, we went to go see The Matrix on our honeymoon. (laughs) It had just come out, and he was excited about this movie, so uh, it changed his life, really, because he references it in a lot of messages, and I have seen it maybe three or four, I still don't get it, I'm still like, what is happening right now? Things coming out of heads, what is happening? Anyway, all that to say, Mark enjoyed that movie. I was disappointed with what I was saying. I was lost. <laughs> but it's, it's funny to think about our life and if we're fulfilling what God's called us to. Are you happy with where your life's going? Or are you kind of like, I need to change some things. Jeremiah 20, 9 11, we all know the verse. But it states that God knows the plans he has for us. He knows these plans. So in case you ever doubted or you didn't know, God has specific plans for each person in this room. Very specific. They're not the same as the person next to you. And that should blow your mind, you know? Because I feel like we live in a culture where everyone's doing the same thing. Well, what are you doing? I'm gonna do that. We're all falling in line. No, God has specific plans for each one of you. He is wanting, his desire is to take you on an adventure with him. His desire is for you to lay down what you think your life should be and trust him for what your life should look like. And it says that he knows them. He knows them. Have you ever considered just asking God, what what are the plans for my life? Why do you have me in Spring Hill, Columbia, Thompson Station, Franklin, Tennessee in 2023? Why am I here? What are the plans for this moment in my life? He will tell you. Jeremiah 33:3 3 says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. That's pretty remarkable. Call unto me and I'm going to tell you great things. I'm going to tell you hidden things. That means things that nobody knows. Really, it's hidden. I'm, I'm like fascinated by that verse that says, um, Jesus said he left and he said, you will do greater things than I did. I, I don't know about you. I've, I have not seen anybody doing greater things than Jesus did. But it's a promise. Do somebody want to be the first one to do greater things than Jesus did? I mean, it's a challenge. I, I hope I can live up to that challenge because that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Paul's message in the second chapter of Galatians really was all about death. The death of Jesus and why it was important and the death of ourselves. For it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives inside of us. And Jesus models this to us so well, this selfless nature that he has and this unconditional love that he has. And I want to be that person. (laughs) I want to be a selfless person. I want to have unconditional love. I want to be this person. But how many know it's hard when you're dealing with people? it's hard right there's many times where i look to heaven i'm like god how do you deal with us how do you love us i mean we are all over the place first john four ten says but this is love not that we loved god but that god loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins it's amazing it's it's a beautiful message. If you don't know the message of Jesus, he came, he died for you so that you may live for him. It's kind of like this, this story where God came down from heaven, died for us so that we may be brought up to heaven to live with him. And now what does he want us to do? He wants us to die to ourselves here on earth so that he can live in us and we can live for him here right? We live for him here so that one day we live with him up there. And that's kind of like our mandate. But it's going to take a little dying to self to get there. It's going to take a little uh, less focus on me and more focus on others. So I am going to give you three ways to break free from selfishness. Everyone say, yay. (laughs) Number one, We gotta confront our issues. We gotta confront our issues. I'm just gonna let you know, we all have issues. Every single one of us. And if you think you don't have any issues, you probably have a lot of issues, (laughs) just saying. (laughs) We need to stop blaming other people for how we live our lives. It's not our parents' fault, it's not our siblings' fault, it's not our children's fault, it's not our boss's fault, our neighbor, the kid down the street that looked at us the wrong way. It's nobody's fault. Now I'm not saying that bad things that haven't happened to you, hard things haven't happened to you, unfair things haven't happened to you, I'm not saying that. I I know hard things have happened and I know unfair things have happened, but what I am saying is we need to confront those things under the blood of Jesus and get healing and wholeness so that we can live a life that he's purposed us to do. Amen? Because he's called us to do some great things. James 4, 1 through 4 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God." That's a pretty bold statement right there. (laughs) How many know, I don't want to be the enemy of God. I want to be the friend of God. And what does that mean? That means getting the passions that are at war within us in check and in line and confronting those issues. How many of you know some passionate people? How many of you are passionate people? (laughs) I may or may not be married to a passionate person, (laughs) which has in turn brought passion out of me. (laughs) But Paul was passionate That's what you get when you read Galatians 1-2. He he was passionate about what he believed, right? He was passionate about making us remember that it was all about faith. It was all about faith in Jesus. It was all about him dying on the cross. It was about Jesus. But there was also those false brothers that were passionate about making sure the law was upheld. And they were passionate too. See, passionate, they were passionate about two very different things. So you can, ha- you can be passionate about two very different things, right? One can be good, and one can be off. And that's why we have to make sure we're bringing our passions to the Lord and keeping them in line and check. Because a passion unchecked by God leads to sin, ultimately. It leads to selfish ambition, selfish desires, because it's all about me and what I'm fulfilling in here. And also a passion of sin leads to death. So we have to always make sure we're taking these things to the Lord. So quarrels arose among them, it says. But instead of fighting, Paul confronts the issue. It's pretty, probably a wild uh, story or experience if you were like the fly on the wall to see Paul coming up to Peter, the pillar of the church, and saying, listen, you're a hypocrite. What are you doing? What are you doing, Peter? This is not how we were. This is not what Jesus came to do. You know this. He says, if you're a Jew and you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how could you force these Gentiles to live like that? You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. And so he confronted this issue, which I love because how many of us avoid issues? Who's an issue avoider? right? How many are like, I'm good. I'm always like, Mark, deal with that. There's a problem. Go right in for me because I just want people to like me. (laughs) But it's hard to confront an issue because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes the person uncomfortable. But they have to be dealt with. Because if these passions that war inside of us, these issues aren't addressed in our hearts, they will lead us to sin. And it's a hard thing not to satisfy a passion, isn't it? It's hard. Whether it's good or bad, it's like we wanna satisfy that passion. And we see this in Genesis with Cain and Abel, right? Cain went from, hate, from jealousy to hate to murder, just like that. Just like that. But God gave him this warning. God gave him this warning in Genesis four four seven. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted and if you do not do well sin is crouching at your door some versions say knocking at your door its desire is contrary for you or its desire is for you some versions say but you must rule over it see god knew god knew cain's heart he knew where where he was going but he gave him this this word he said listen Sin is coming for you. Don't let it take over you. Do not let it take over you. This statement has not changed today. This verse applies to us today. Sin is crouching and knocking at every one of our doors. Its desire is for us. It wants us to fail. It wants us to open the door. It wants us to let in bitterness, jealousy, hate, murder, envy, lust, all of it. It wants us to do that. But God's warning us, you must rule over it and how do you rule over it by confronting the passions in our hearts that wage war within us what i love about this passage is that it says first he says if you do well you'll be accepted right god tells him and he says if you do not do well sin is waiting he never says if you do not do well i won't accept you he never says he won't accept him This is a message, and somebody needs to hear this, that even though there's much sin in your life, even though you continue to fall, we all fall, God still accepts you. There's nothing you can do that God won't sweep you up and say, it's okay, my son, it's okay, my daughter. You're fine, I accept you. My son covered all that. And he also speaks the Cain's identity. It says its desire is contrary to you. Contrary means the opposite. He's telling him that sin is the opposite of who you are. Sin in our life is actually the opposite of who we are, right? It's the opposite of who you are. I'm not gonna make covenant with my sin. I'm not going to speak. I am not an alcoholic, right? I am not an adulterous woman. I am not, you don't speak this because it's contrary to who you are. We need to confront these things because the enemy technically wants to silence our voice. That's his ultimate goal too, is to silence us because we all have a message. If you didn't know, you have a message. Say, I have a message. You have a message. And your message isn't for everyone and that's okay. Some of us need to be released. Your message is not for everyone. Your message is for the people that God puts in your life, that is put in front of you. I don't reach the same people that you all reach, and you don't reach the people that I reach. So that's okay. But speak your message and speak it with boldness, like Paul did. Amen. So we need to confront our issues so that we rule over them. Number two, deny ourselves. This is this is a hard one, right? <laughs> Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I need to tell myself that daily. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up the cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Jesus pretty much tells us the secret to a happy life here. I mean, who wants to live a happy life, right? And it's not the American dream. It's not the American dream. It's not the big house, the shiny cars, the 2.5 children, the vacations, all the things, we really need to die to that conformity that we've made with the world, right? I, if you think about it, if we think about our life right now, what, it, what do we do? We grow up, we go to college, <laughs> we get our jobs, we keep building till we get the house we want, the cars that we want. We stockpile it, and then we ride off into the sunset of retirement. If you think about it, that's where our life is, right? Some of us are living from Friday to Friday, working for the weekend. That's all we think about. Some of us are living for vacation to vacation. God has called us to so much more, like so much more, more than we could more than you can imagine, more than you can even imagine, but it comes with denying ourselves, right? When Jesus died and he denied himself, what actually happened? Life came. Life came. When we deny ourselves, actually life comes from us. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, The new has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You guys, we all have a new, it's like if you get a new gift for Christmas or for your birthday, but you never take it out of the box. What good is it, right? Some of us need to go to that box, take out, our new creation in Christ and start putting it on and living like that, because there are great and powerful people in this room that are called to change and shift atmospheres, that are called to change things, but you just gotta see it. You just gotta know it. Dying to ourself is hard in a self-focused culture. This is a very me-focused culture, a very self-focused culture, a very we want what we want, we will want it. We're waiting in line in the Chick-fil-A or whatever, and they're like two minutes off. We're aggravated, right? It's like going through the line. They're like, my pleasure. I'm like, it was not a pleasure. I should have been out of here (laughs) two seconds ago. But whatever, praise Jesus. Uh, Come to Southview. You do not know me. It's kind of hard to hide in a 15 parachuter van. If you see me speeding down Spring Hill, I'm so sorry. So sorry. Um, (laughs) But the Lord wants to give give us to give up what we want and to follow what He did, right? Some of you know my story um, about our 10 kids. I'm just going to recap it shortly. But Mark and I have 10 children one boy, two boys now, and eight girls. And this is was not our plan, okay? Just so you know, he only has one brother, I have two sisters, we did not come from big families. I was not the girl saying, oh, I can't wait to grow up and have 10 kids. No, no, I was like, three kids is great. Four kids is like, ooh, we are dangerous. So I was like, that's great. <laughs> So actually, a funny story, a little side note, when we had, after we had our third kid, and we were contemplating the fourth, I really was like, you know what, I don't want to work out and get back in shape, let's just get pregnant again, that was a glorious nine months of not having to do anything, (laughs) true story, fourth kid came. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) Then we were really done. I was like, four and no more. These are my four blessings from the Lord. Um, But when I went to the ultrasound for that fourth, I thought it was a boy. I was like, it's a boy. Two boys, two girls. We have the perfect family. We're awesome. And when I went to the ultrasound, they were like, it's a girl. And I was like, okay, all right, great, whatever. But in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you have another son. And I was like, no no i was not saying praise god sir i was not (laughs) i was like what and i acted like i didn't hear that that was like myself and i was talking to myself and i just like kind of let that go uh fast forward maybe a year later and i was in uh my bathroom taking my birth control i believed in it back then, yes and i was taking my birth control and the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he said, do you want control of that, or do you want me to? Yeah, heavy word. And of course, I was like, I would like control of it very much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because you are the God of the universe. It says, be fruitful, multiply, and I will have 25 children. <laughs> and so I did what every good Christian did, and I popped my pill, and I went to bed. <laughs> And again, I was like, I'm good. I didn't hear that. I just made all that up. But how I many know I wrestled with God that night? I wrestled with Him in bed. And a lot of it was because of my selfish desires that were waging war within me. Most of it was like, I don't, how can we afford this? I, I can't afford this. I'm not even a good mom to the four that I have. How can I have any more? I don't even know what I, the heck I'm doing here. You know, I I mean, honestly, I was like, God, I don't want what if I like blow up like that. How many kids are you going to make me have? I don't want to be like these were all selfish things that I really was wrestling God with because I didn't want to do it. But how many know in the end? I was like, you know what, Lord? Not my will, but your will. And I had to deny myself. I had to say, Leanne, it doesn't matter what you want because ultimately this life is what Jesus Christ wants and what he wants to work through me as a testimony to people. I don't know what that was back then. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea that the journey would be 10 kids, no idea. Because guys, every time they, I went to an ultrasound and they said, you have a girl, in my head I was like, but God said I have another son, I can't stop. So it was like this war raging within me. Do I satisfy myself and stop? Because I have control of that, right? We have control of, of our desires, but we also have a God that we need to be obedient to. Number three, give of ourselves. There's no better way to get your mind off yourself than to focus on others. John Maxwell says, people who add value to others do so intentionally. I say that because to add value, people must give of themselves, and that rarely occurs by accident. Verse 20 in Galatians says that God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave himself. See, one of the enemy's greatest strategies is to get us to focus on ourselves. What do I want? What do I need? How does this make sense? me feel what is my truth we hear that today right what what is my truth it's not about your truth or his truth or her truth it's about the truth of the gospel of jesus christ it all comes down to a pride issue really it all comes down to pride obadiah talks about this god says in obadiah to lucifer he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is very deceptive. It deceives us. It lets us, we don't even sometimes know that we struggle with the pride. We don't, we don't see it. It's deceptive. Because did you ever wonder, how did an angel of heaven get deceived? How is it possible when you're in heaven? I mean, I picture heaven, everything's, Wonderful, great, what, what more do I want? Where did pride come from, right? How, how did that enter into somebody? Which, it's a powerful force, right? It's gotta be. And I mean, it even says in Revelations that Lucifer, he had his angels, it said. His angels, there was angels that shifted from worshiping the creator of the universe to Lucifer, how does that happen, right? It's pretty amazing. So what I'm saying is that if they can do it and struggle, I'm pretty sure us finite humans can as well, right? First John two sixteen says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father but of this world. Pride is of this world. Pride is not a heavenly quality. Pride it, God wants us to be humble. And I dare to argue that everyone suffers with this issue. Everyone has an issue with pride in some form or fashion. And so it's your lucky day because I'm going to give you 15 subtle signs of pride. (Laughter) <laughs> Just in case you doubted that you struggled. (laughs) Now listen, again, I believe we all suffer with some form of pride that we have to keep in check, but thankfully there's a God helps get us there, who helps us get us back into alignment. So don't feel convicted by this. Just feel free to know, okay, I've recognized some things and I'm going to get them in check with the Holy Spirit. And I say they're subtle because, you know, sometimes we don't see the subtle things in life. If you really want to know, ask your spouse. (laughs) They'll probably point them out to you. (laughs) Um, But as I read off this list, if there's some that kind of maybe hit you in a way that might be the Holy Spirit giving you a little nudge like, yeah, might want to deal with that one right there. So jot it down and then go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> Number one, assuming you already know something when someone is teaching. <laughs> I didn't come up with this list, guys, so do <laughs> <laughs> Number two, seeing yourself as too good to perform certain tasks. Number three, Being too proud to ask for help. Number four, feeling the need to consistently teach people. (laughs) Did he just call me out as I'm trying to speak here? What is happening? (laughs) Number five, talking about yourself a lot. Number six, Thinking you are better than others who are different or less fortunate. Number seven, when you disregard the advice of others. Number eight, when you are consistently critical. Number nine, consistent need for attention or affirmation. Number 10, (gasps) unable to receive constructive criticism. Number 11, overly obsessed with your physical appearance. Number 12, unwilling to submit to authority. Number 13, ignoring people's attempt to communicate with. Number 14, justifying your sin instead of admitting to it. And number 15, name dropping. <laughs> yeah. There's, a, there's, there's some on there. <laughs> Got a little ooze and alls. (laughs) See, God wants us to address the pride that's in our lives, those little things, those little sudden things. And like I said in that list, a lot of those things are good and fine, but left unchecked can lead to pride in our lives. James 4, 6 says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know what happens when pride enters our heart? We focus more on ourselves and we lose sight of God. And the whole point is to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. That's the only way we're going to make it through this life is if our eyes are focused on Jesus. Because the devil wants us to make the same exact mistake that he made, right? He wants us to focus on ourselves like he did, lose sight of the truth of the gospel. He obviously lost sight of that truth. It's the very thing Paul was trying to preserve, the truth of the gospel. It's all about the truth of the gospel. And he wants us to fall just like he did. He wants us to make the same mistakes as he did. But guess what? There's hope. There's Jesus, right? And actually, and there's grace too. So that if you do fall, he pulls you back up again, right? You don't have to stay down. Jesus is there going, I I get you. I'll get you. I'll pull you back up. Don't worry. We all stumble. We all fall. Not for the grace of God, there go I, right? So I'm going to land this, but I want you guys to stand for a second. I want us to kind of get reset in a sense. feel like we live in a time where our priorities are out of alignment. We've lost focus of what's important, right? It's not important that you succeed in your company. It's good, those are good things. It's not important that you go on vacation every year. It's a great thing. It's important that you live out the life God has called you to. It's important that you find out what that is. Those are the important things. And it's important that we don't conform to the patterns of this world. Really important that we don't, but we conform to the patterns of the word of God, of what God has for us, because we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I used to play video games like a long time ago, like I'm talking Nintendo. If anybody knows, you know, uh, Mario Brothers really knocked that one out. <laughs> um, but I remember, you if you played the game for so long, I obviously must have, um, there could be little glitches in the system, right? And you're like, why won't this work? It's kind of like technology today, right? The iPhone. Why won't this work? But if you turn it off and on, what did that do? Reset it and then all of a sudden it was back to normal and everything was clear again, right? I could start from the beginning. I feel like that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this moment, reset some of us, right? Turn off where our lives are all like the video game. It's all scrambled. It doesn't make sense anymore. It's like, what's what's happening here? And we need to turn it off, clear it out, reset it in this moment, flick it back on and say, okay, God, Here I am. Here I am. You can have it all. It's not about me. It's not about me. Some of us maybe need to confront some issues. Maybe you need to deny what you want for what God wants. Maybe there's a little bit of a pride issue there, and maybe it's all of them. Either way, God wants us to bring it to him acts twenty twenty one 21 says i have declared to both jews and greeks that they must turn to god in repentance and have faith in our lord jesus see it's not about f- just about faith it's also about repentance it's about faith and repentance guys we have to be a people that have our pride down and we come with a humble heart to say god it's not about me It's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And let me tell you, when you put God on the throne of your life, you put God first, all these things are added to you. It's a guarantee. Now, the enemy will deceive us and make us think, if I do this, that, and the other, if I let go of this high-paying job to follow after what God wants for me and take this low pay, I don't know if I'll be okay. You'll be okay. If God told you, you'll be okay. You'll be better than okay. You'll be better than okay. I came to that point in my life where I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can trust God with control of my children. Let me tell you i've been better than okay these kids have changed my life in a way that couldn't be changed without them god knew i needed them god knew what he what i needed for my life and how many know if anybody knows us better than we know ourselves it's god he knows what he wants for your life he has the plans he has for you right so in this moment with every eye closed I just want us to take those idols in our lives those things that were those passions that are at war within us and i want us to lay it at the feet of jesus and i want you to repent for putting any other thing before him and his will for your life and some of you may need to repent because you've never even asked god what his will is for your life some of us may need to repent because we were acting out of disobedient because we didn't want to follow the plan God for has for our lives. But I'm here to tell you there's grace in Jesus. And like I said, we can reset today. And we can walk out those doors and be like, God, I give you my life. If you're bold enough to say that, I want you to say it out loud. God, I give you my life. Whatever you want to do, use me Lord God I pray for your people today God I pray that you would use them in great and powerful and mighty ways God I pray that our selfish desires would would die I pray that the pride that rises in our lives we would put into submission God and I pray that we would give you glory and honor in our lives even if it's unknown even if it's scary even if it's uncomfortable God I pray that we would be a a people that trust you and your direction over our lives so god we say yes and we say have your way in our lives in jesus name amen Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.